Welcome into Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. It's kind of like a part three now, I think. It's like a continuation of last week's episode, or the last episode we put out. That was probably about a week ago now. Um, last episode we put out, we did an episode with the NPC pod, wherein uh, basically I went on their show and bitched about the moral arc at length, and then we had them come over to discuss chapters 59 and uh, chapter 60 for Dragon Ball Super. Uh, that was with Leonard, Paul, and Katie. Um, I have been trying to record with Jimmy for most of the last 10 days. I think we've had four individual recording dates set up to record, and, and each time it just fucking Jimmy, dude. But I called Leonard and said, Hey, Leonard, I know that Katie and Leonard, uh, excuse me, I know that Katie and Paul made a joke about me, um, like commandeering you from my show. And, uh, I hate to like try to act on that so quickly, but you did great last week. You want to be on super dope this week? <laughs> Leonard, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling great that I'm now four fifths of a person instead of three fifths. So, you Jesus, know. just jumping right into the slavery jokes. I felt kind of <laughs> weird having said the commandeering you for our show thing, but, um, <laughs> I, maybe a better way is to say no. Never mind. Every word that just popped into my brain was a was not a better word. So what I'll say is, I'm happy to have you back. I thought it was a good idea to have you back as well because there was four of us on last week, and Katie and Paul are into Dragon Ball, but they weren't keeping up with the manga like you were. Um, so much to the point, like when I talked to you first uh, about setting up that crossover piece, we. You said you had a little bit to catch up on, and then I talked to you two days later or three days later, and you read all 60 chapters. Um, that said, I guess give me your own general impressions of the moral arc, because I feel like I just kind of talked too much last week. How do you feel about the moral arc in general at this point? Well, um, the moral arc is like, hey, so we have Frieza but he's not Frieza. But then we put Cell, but he's not Cell. And then we have, t you know, you remember Hit from Super, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah right. And we take his techniques and put it in there. And then to top it all off, we're going to make him do a fusion dance. Yeah. Um, this definitely does seem to be shaping up to be one of those like almost like a dragon ball greatest hits you know what i mean like we've seen yeah. the old version we've seen the youth version we've seen the where we, we just saw at the end of chapter 61 uh today the fusion version like i've seen old piccolo then become young piccolo you know what i mean like that was already a thing um then we have him revert back like when vegeta actually punches the power out of him with his yard rat technique like he reverts back to old Moro. That was very reminiscent of uh, Perfect Cell losing Android 18 and reverting back to Imperfect Cell uh, or Half Perfect Cell, however the fuck you want to equate that one. Um, and now we know that Fusion, not that Fusion hasn't been a part of the series in recent memory, but I was hoping it was going to maybe avoid... I was hoping it was going to avoid this arc more than we've already kind of had it because we had like the Namekian ultimate fusion to try to team up to defeat Moro and 
I was like, all right, that's a clever utilization of fusion kind of in the background. We don't really need to do anything more with that. Leave the fusion on the bench for this one. Um, but no, like two chapters later or three chapters later, Moro is taking his, uh, his, you know, his 1B, you know, the mini boss or whatever, and uh, gobbling his ass up into a fusion. Sounds worse than I meant it. It's uh, it sounds great, man. It's it's like he almost grapefruit technique, uh, seventy three. <laughs> Jesus, um, I I wanted to say like a human centipede thing because I said gobbled his ass up, but uh, I've decided that I'll refrain from making any comments about the human centipede. Yeah, we I think we all tried to forget about it. So <laughs> we just can't we can't unsee what's burning to the back of our eyelids. Uh, so for chapter sixty one. Vegeta Reborn. This is the culmination of the last probably four months of events. Um, or four months of speculation, I should say. It hasn't really been super eventful. Some training. Uh, some ass whoopings. I think it was an ass whooping. A training. Yeah, Another ass, ass whooping. Whoopin', training. Ass whooping. Uh, more training. Uh Vegeta pulling a Goku at let me get here at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfectly. I'll, I'll let me um conveniently learn instant transmission just for this one time and this one time only so I can get there on time. I'm never going to know this technique again. That still really pissed me off from Chapter 60. Yes. Um, <laughs> you, you, If you're really going to try to highlight Vegeta as especially for this chapter. Like, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily how it's going to work out. Cause again, I think they're going to bone Vegeta in the end and give the win to Goku or somebody else or Miris or some God who's going to undo things. Cause things got so bad in typical Dragon Ball super fashion. But for the last few months, they've set Vegeta up to be that guy who seems to be posturing for the win. Why wouldn't you just say, yeah, you're so good. You're such a prodigy. You've done so well on Planet Yardrat. Not only did you learn this uh, this forced spirit fission technique, but you also mastered instant transmission immediately. Like that. What a bet. What a great way to say or highlight. Um, this is how good Vegeta is. Like that shit that Goku had such a hard time learning back in the Frieza saga. Vegeta learned it in 15 minutes because he needed to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> so forced spirit vision is the technique or the saving grace, whatever you want to call it, um, that Vegeta shows up with in order to combat Moro. Um, and it's described basically as a technique that will um like dissipate or break apart like the com the combination of powers or fusion of powers, uh or like absorption of powers. So there's it's a it's a very action heavy chapter, chapter sixty one. But you see when Vegeta shows up on the scene, he just a lot of body shots and then a lot of energy expel sort of all at once out of Moro. And it's a cool visual. You see it like fly up into the atmosphere and all these little chunks and shards and everyone kind of wonders around them like what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> Who who's this dude on the scene right now? <laughs> um, you know what did what the heck did we just witness? And he does explain it super briefly, 
doesn't really explain it so much as mentions what it is to Goku. Goku's like, oh yeah, that thing that I learned about 20 years ago that I totally forgot about and how I couldn't have learned it back then because I was a failure or you're not as strong or whatever. Things like that fucking bother me, if I'm being honest. I'd rather them just have said, oh wow, I never heard of that one. I was caught up in the muck of like trying to learn instant transmission. I never even had this forced spirit vision on my radar. That would have been a better way to do that. To say like, oh, I knew about it and couldn't learn it. That, ugh, that annoys me. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely feel that irritation. One of the, uh, it, it was like, it was funny because the way Vegeta described it, which like you said, described it perfectly. But basically the way I thought about it, I was like, okay, so you're telling me Vegeta learned spirit bomb, but instead of attacking someone with it, you take it and put it back everywhere else where it belonged. This is like every like mother's gift for a child to be like, hey, guess what? You put your toys back. Good job. <laughs> Yo, that's actually a really good way to put it, though. It's like a reverse spirit bomb almost. Instead of like the culmination of everyone's energy coming in together for this one big attack or in Moro's case, this one singular powerful entity. It's like the dissipation of said combination of power. That's basically exactly how forced spirit vision is 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 uh is like described. So it's uh, that's that's an interesting point, dude. I didn't think about that. That's like sort of the antithesis of Goku's like, you know, besides the kamehameha, his like other signature yeah. technique. You know, that's that's a good yeah. catch, dude. Yeah. Um. I mean. Like that, that was instantly what I thought of. And I was like, this is like amazing. Cause like my, my whole thing was just like, okay. So every time he hits him, he's taking that power and storing it up. And every time. And then when he, of course, uh, the way I like to say it, the way it just, um, busts (laughs) (laughs) into everyone getting their lives back together. Uh, sounds like a weird reverse sex story. But um, <laughs> but also a weird reverse sexy spirit bomb. Exactly. Um, but the whole point of it, I thought was really cool, and especially the line shared between Vegeta and Piccolo, saying, "Oh, I can redo any like almost any fusion." Of course, I don't I don't know the exact line, but um, when he was talking to Piccolo, he's like, "Even your fusion." That triggered something. Of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, probably. But yeah, it triggered so something for me. You read that. So I kind of read that at first and thought the same thing. Like, is he talking about Piccolo and the fact that he's got energy inside him from with uh, from Kami and Nail? But then the next when I turned the page, I realized that I, at least uh, maybe I just missed the rest of the context. Maybe I did. Bad on me. I've only read the chapter twice, but. When I turned the page, I took that line to mean they're setting up for the next thing I wanted to talk about with the forced spirit vision is the revival of all the Namics. I thought that he was just hinting like I could, you know, this this potential power could even revive, you know, a people like you or a people like yours. Um, because Dende then goes on to say like they do a little cutaway to the lookout. And they kind of explode. No, excuse me. They do a cutaway to Planet Yardrat. And the Pybara is commenting that Vegeta is on Earth. He's fighting against Moro. And 
he's landed that technique and the energy from Moro has, you know, since, uh, you know, started to dissipate or leave his body. And he's since, you know, reverted to the old form. And one of them asks the other, does that mean everyone's going to regain their lives? And they specifically say, um, people who were like murdered by Moro, like in a fight, um, they're not going to come back to life. But, people whose life force he essentially you know ate sucked out of whatever you want to grapefruit technique grapefruit technique whatever you want to say those people if they have they they kind of prefaced it like they i think they said it was like a a prolonged life force or something like that um so also dende kind of alludes to the idea that maybe maybe the protection from the Dragon Balls that were on planet Namek allowed this to happen. I think Dende is just pulling shit out of his butthole. Uh, yeah. That's, that's where <laughs> shit lives in, in your butthole. I don't think Namekians have buttholes. I don't uh, think so either. Uh, side note, neither do they have uh, penises nor vagina or peni. Dude, I don't know where you're getting your facts from, but I know for a fact for a fact, Piccolo has the biggest dick. If you're talking about Gohan, yes, uh, Gohan was the biggest dick. Um, mind you, in the Cell arc when he said, oh, hey, guess what? Now I'm going to pull a dad and Vegeta and all the Saiyans are here. Yeah, he's a little bit of a dick. But no, I meant like his, his, uh, his equipment, his junk, his schlong. Piccolo's got a, a Namek wiener. Oh yeah, his arm. Yeah, because his arms go. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I guess you know who needs a wiener when you can uh, just ball up your fist and extendo stretch. Yeah. Exactly. That was a uh, dirtier than I'm. No, that was dirty as I meant it. So perfect segue, right? Um, Piccolo actually kind of plays an important part while well, he's watching Vegeta lay this beat down and, and employ this new technique. He is the one to, and I said it to you before we hit the record button. Um, he's the guy who has the moment with Goku where he's like having the, the monologue on behalf of Vegeta being like, wow, look at how far this guy's come and how much he's changed in the time that we've met him and how he arrived on earth ready to destroy the earth. And now he's ready to lay it all on the line in order to save us. Seems like he's really trying to atone for his sins and wipe the slate clean, I believe is, is the exact phrasing that they use. Right. So I like, I like this scene and I don't like this scene. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes that me and Leonard have now done together, this is now our third one in a row. Um, You'll know if you listen to the first two. I thought the moral arc started very, very strongly. The last few chapters, dude, it has really started to stumble and just kind of rely on old tricks and tropes. I mean, and that's not like new to Dragon Ball. That's just what Dragon Ball has done for a very long time. I realize that when I say that, but this time kind of pisses me off because... It started from a place where I was like, oh, this seems like it could be a, a new, different thing. And it's quickly devolved into the same old nonsense. But this Piccolo thing is something that 
is indicative of what I just described. Like it's it's kind of like uh, another callback to like a Vegeta atonement, um, Majin Vegeta sacrificing himself, you know, with the final explosion thing. Uh, him doing it again in Tournament of Power, you know, episode 122 or whatever it is. Um, you can go listen to the podcast that we did on that one like three years ago in your feed now. Um, Piccolo outlining how much progress Vegeta has undergone since he originally showed up on Earth. It's a callback that I don't hate because I always like to see Vegeta get a little bit of shine and have, you know, Piccolo, one of my other favorite um, secondary kind of characters these days, um, be the one to illustrate that. So I'm happy this moment happened, but at the same time, I'm like, yo, what the fuck? I've also, I've seen this moment. Like, it's like hearing a song that you like for the hundredth time. It's like, yo, I still like the song, but it's like, what the fuck, dude? You could have, you could have picked a different song on this one. Deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) deja vu is like oh where have i heard this before i know exactly where i've heard this before and i just gave you two solid examples of it by thinking about it for 15 seconds (laughs) exactly um for me on this part so i love i love it like no matter i feel like this is the one trick pony that sadly i will never get tired of (laughs) and what i mean by never get tired of i mean because i like vegeta like vegeta and i like Mm, just something about us just makes everything perfect. <laughs> that sounded really wrong. But anyways. Not uh, worse than you meant it, but hey, you know, he's a sexy man. Hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, the horny police are after me anyway, so might as well just <laughs> let them catch me with my Bonk. pants down. <laughs> no horny. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, like, when Majin, when it was the Majin Vegeta and Majin Buu arc, like, that to me was like, okay, this is really good, like the way they did it. Um, part of me didn't like it just because it kind of fell out at the end where it was just like, oh, hey, I'm back now. I mean, the way that they represented it, I felt like was decent. Where they're like, okay, yeah, you have a limited amount of time. We need you to defeat Majin Buu. If you don't, the whole world's destroyed. And Vegeta was like, okay, I accept that I'm going to hell anyways, but I'll do the right thing. To me, that was sort of good but i feel like they should have done it a different way now coming up to 20 years later to where this is going on right now and it's vegeta saying like oh i'm atoning for my sins and um piccolo's like oh look how far he came the first thing i wanted to say was piccolo saying that i felt like piccolo also kind of reflected on himself because if you think about it he kind of did the same thing look at demon king piccolo 100%. like he did the exact same thing and came back there were so a Piccolo lot of callbacks to, to the first Piccolo arc when you look at Morrow yeah. as a villain, but also if you look at this a Vegeta atonement thing and Piccolo being the guy to to like narrate it in this scene, yeah, perfect connection. Yeah, and that's why like for me, I'm like, I like this because Piccolo's narrating, like you said, he's narrating it to Goku, and Goku's like, even like, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, my favorite thing about Goku, he's like, huh, atone, huh? thinks he's going to hell eh like Goku's real fucking simple about it like he needs Piccolo in that moment to be like yeah you see this stuff your friend's doing I know that you just got a little bit of a chub because you see how strong he is and now you've got something to aspire to in terms of a training regiment or whatever but he's uh he's doing like some real personal growth right before your eyes and Goku's like what the what the fuck's personal growth what is that yeah (laughs) exactly 
Like, I mean, I, I could go into Goku's growth and it's a whole different story. But with Vegeta, I mean, it's something where for me, for this arc, I love it just because I kept reading the panel. Like, even when I went back today to read it, I went back to that exact panel where you see him punching Moro and you see the fission move just go back into all the Namekians. And I was like, yes, this is what we need. And I won't go any further because we're gonna we're gonna go into the next part. But basically, what I'm trying to say is the way that they set it up, I felt like was perfect. But the way that they're ending it sorta is not the way I was hoping for. And any Vegeta fan can say that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny because I did spend a good portion on our our pods last week bitching about. You know, how they're going to do my boy dirty like this. And it kind of ties into what you said earlier about the reverse spirit bomb idea of what the force spirit fission technique is. Um, It's like the antithesis of a spirit bomb. It's the antithesis of a fusion of some kind of absorption of some kind of culmination of, of that. And, you know, spoiler alert, at the end of the chapter, we do get a fusion exactly that a fusion black and white clear as day between morrow and seven three though i do think it's worth noting that vegeta's technique is specifically stated by him in this chapter to be a thing that would combat well against a fusion i say that because again i spent a lot of time bitching about how i thought vegeta was about to get done dirty i don't think he's done in this chat or i don't think he's done in this arc yet which is good um, I just feel like um, I feel like now that there's a fusion on the other side and Vegeta has a technique of value that Goku doesn't have, it's it's we're going to almost have to get a fucking fusion between these two. Um, I would assume it would have to be Gogeta unless they don't want to do that because that was the one that we most recently saw. But. I could see Quick, go Kakarot, put your penis in mine. We'll fuse. <laughs> not how this, for the fifth time, Vegeta. That's not how this works. We've already tried this four times. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I, I just feel like it's worth mentioning that I don't think Vegeta's done in this arc as I did maybe a few weeks ago. Um, but I do certainly think his role is almost definitely as it usually is, always will be, probably facilitated through. Son Goku. So, watching the Namekians get their lives back, that was cool. Like, I'm a little worried this is going to be like Vegeta's highlight solo moment of the arc. That's definitely still a concern for me. This is going to be about as cool as Vegeta seems, you know, for like until whenever the fuck he needs to have this moment for the next major arc of the series. But seeing the Namekians get their lives back seems like a nice, um, like Piccolo said, like an atonement moment, especially when you consider all the Namekians he slaughtered back in the day during the Frieza arc. Like it is kind of a nice uh, wrap up for him. It is quickly undone when he gets the go ahead to uh, to kill Moro from Jocko. Jocko's like, I don't give a shit if this guy lives or not. You can kill him if you want. Vegeta does rev up to kill him and and basically says him says to Moro, Hey, you know, I'm about to blast you to. Basically says tomorrow, hey, I'm about to blast you to hell. 
And again, it kind of ties into the Piccolo fan service moment that we were talking about, the callbacks mm-hmm. to Majin Vegeta stuff. Like, I love Majin Vegeta as much as the next dude, but you just borrowed on Majin Vegeta for the Tournament of Power, you know, two years ago. Why, why you got to do it again now? But Moro stops and questions him and says, what, you think you're not going to go to hell? And we get that cool Vegeta moment. He's like, yeah, no, I'll see you there. I'm a villain. I've I've uh, accepted that. I understand what um what my ultimate fate is gonna be. But I'm gonna do with what's right anyway. I'm gonna protect the earth. Admirable. It would feel way fucking cooler if I hadn't already seen it a couple of different times. But the only reason I stopped to point it out, people were very, very upset about this line where he says. Basically, in response to Moro, Moro says, you don't think you're going to hell. And Vegeta just says, oh, no, I'm a villain. I've accepted my fate. This line sent the Twitter world, anime Twitter, Dragon Ball nerds everywhere, were just like laying down in the street waiting for 18-wheelers to come, thinking that Dragon Ball Super Vegeta is now an inferior product to Dragon Ball GT Vegeta. And that's definitely not a tease for a live stream that we'll be doing in two weeks with uh, Aunt Grimulia from uh, CBR.com. What do you think about this, Leonard, uh, this line about him being a villain? Uh, I love it. <laughs> as much as everyone may have been like, oh, no, just fucking kill me. No, like, I, I loved it because the thing about Vegeta was I think even it caught back to a point where, like I said, when he was revived from the Majin, uh, Majin Buu arc, where he was revived and he's like, oh, you're only here to save the earth. Like, now thinking back to, or fast forwarding to the present, it, it makes a lot of sense because he knows what he's done. He tried to blow up the earth. He killed like hundreds, if not almost thousands of Namekians. He's literally killed people. Of course, luckily they were brought back to life. Dude, but then the, the death count on Vegeta has got to be in the billions. It has exactly. to be in the billions. The dude literally exactly. used to exterminate planets, null and void of all life, as his nine to fucking five. Like his body count was in the billions. That dude is so going to hell. Exactly, and I think though. I liked, I liked what I personally liked about it was just the realism. He knows. He's like, look, I, I know what I do today won't mean anything. But if I can at least help people at the end of the day and say, yeah, I've, I freaking did something to stop this. Or I guess for his saying, as long as I'm stronger than Kakarot, then yeah, go for it, man. Because in the end... I'm tired of like, I mean, I know people say, oh, Goku's never won. But when it comes to these type of moral victories, moral victories, um, I would say that. I was waiting for the first (laughs) joke of the night. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, though, that Goku wins most of them. Like, he's the one that's like, okay, like whenever he does something, he's just for it. And even like to call back to the tournament of power when in the anime himself where he's like, oh, you can hurt all the people in the world. I don't care, but no one hurts my friends. Like, he doesn't care to serve himself a hero. Everyone knew. It was like, really, Goku? 
You, you sure about that? Because uh, you, you saved the world countless amounts of times. You could kill all 8 billion people on God's green earth, but I swear to God, if you fucking fuck with my buddy Krillin, I will genocide the entire universe. Exactly. <laughs> and when, when, when he said that, I was just like, okay, I mean, in the moment that sounds cool, but that's not Goku. Goku, yep. I feel like, wouldn't have said that. But now for Vegeta, it's like this is the part where I feel like um, Akira Toriyama and I can't remember his other name, so I'm going to call him Akiro because... Toritaro? <laughs> Toritaro, thank yep. you. Um, I feel like Toritaro was just like, okay, I want to give Vegeta that chance where he knows what he is and that he's proud of it. And even though, yes, he knows he was bad, he's going to still be like, whatever, I'm still doing the right thing. You don't like it? You can uh, take the Dragon Balls and wish for GT, I guess. So, all right, yeah, great callback to the GT Super Vegeta thing. Um, that was really what made me stop and pause. Was I saw some people say, "All right, this definitively is proof that GT Vegeta is better than Super Vegeta." And like I said, me and Ant are going to talk specifically about Vegeta in two weeks. I think we picked July 12th, so be on the lookout for more information on that. It'll be a, a YouTube live stream like we're doing tonight. What I don't like about people's reaction to this I'm a villain line is that it's kind of like the most Vegeta thing that Vegeta does. Like he, Vegeta's always just like reclaiming his ability to say that he's a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Obviously, again, Majin Vegeta is the most, um, you know, blatant example. But, like, I think another example that kind of ties into this, too, is uh, I think the dub translation lends itself best to it. But when he explains how he, you know, shows up to defeat the androids and he's finally achieved Super Saiyan. And he's like, yeah, you need a pure heart. Fucking pure evil. Like, he's <laughs> always been about being a badass. So, even though he's like middle-aged dad status with a couple of kids and a wife, you know, who happens to be like the most rich, um, wealthy woman in the goddamn universe, probably. Um, even though he's got like a very comfortable life on earth and has very much adapted and has embraced that kind of life. Like we've seen him fighting on behalf of the earth, going back to the androids, I guess. But like Majin Buu is when he's really like embracing his role as Goku's number two. Um, ever since then, he's served quite diligently in that role. But to think that he's not above being like, yeah, I'm a fucking domesticated soccer dad who whoops ass on the weekends, but you know what? I'm also a badass evil motherfucker too. Like, to think that undermines the entirety of his character, fuck out of here, dude. That's like an Edgeward hot take. You're just trying to say you like GT Vegeta and his mustache. That's all you're trying yeah. to say. Fuck out of here. <laughs> all right. Glad I got most of that off my chest. In a few weeks, we'll have more examples specifically about that. But uh, there's a reason everybody hates Dragon Ball GT. And I will tell you, one of the biggest reasons is Vegeta. Not thinking about that now, because you're thinking about Vegeta in Super Saiyan 4 form. And you're like, ooh, that was cool. Super Saiyan 4 is such a cool character design. Yeah. Think about the steps that we took to get the Super Saiyan 4. See you in two fucking weeks on YouTube, buddy.
moving on. I got all that off my chest. Leonard, thank you for <laughs> thank you for hearing me out on that. Hey, you know, I'm here for the moral respo- support. God damn it, Leonard. That was such a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many puns can I think of today? Not a enough. Lot. Not enough for me, baby. <laughs> uh, that was such a Brandon line. That was great. Um, I wish you knew Brandon because, oh my God, if you and Brandon were on a podcast together, I would just get... You're getting double teamed by two dads. That sounds said, like a great Brazzers.com clink. I said <laughs> what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I got all my Vegeta angst off of my chest, and again, it kind of ties into that as well, like all of the callbacks to this series. Um, Moro is on the ropes. And what is the logical explanation to get him back in the realm of uh, being a threat? Fusion, absorption, some combination of either or. Um, Vegeta gets the okay from uh, Jocko to kill him, uh, him being Moro. Um, doesn't necessarily need him to go back alive. Um, Moro says, hey, I'm old and you you know, got all my energy out of me or whatever, but I still got magic. Watch me do some magic stuff. <laughs> and he is really quick to get over to 7-3. He kills the little dude with 7-3. Um, I can't think of his name. It's like Shinka, Shika Roma. Shithead. Yeah, Shika Fuckface is what I think it was. <laughs> um, He kills Shika Fuckface really quickly and then just absorbs 7-3 and... Again, we started it off. We started it off with um, it reminds you of Cell, reminds you of Frieza, reminds you of Hit. When he absorbs seven three, Moro suddenly has this new design where you can see all three of those characters very plainly. Um, like we're talking about callbacks a lot today. The entire design of the Fusion Moro, I assume they still call him Moro, um, but the Moro 7-3 Fusion, the design of it is, it's, it's, it's one fucking, it's three callbacks amalgamated into one fucking being, basically. Um, I, I, like, are you guys running out of ideas? I thought the idea was to bring in Toyotaro and Akira Toriyama could retire so Toyotaro could do some new shit. Like, I don't know. Well, I feel like, so to to kind of go back on something, uh, something that you and I talked about, I think either, it was probably off podcast, but um, we do have a really uh, defined and genuine love for Totally Not Mark. We do, uh, yes. If y'all don't know him, look him up. Really fantastic videos about Dragon Ball and his journey to One Piece. But anyway, for sure, <laughs> um, definitely one thing that I I realized and stuck in my head for the longest time because it's such a weird process. Akira Toriyama would literally draw out things. I think give out certain little notes and send it to them. Like, do you mean for Dragon Ball Super? I believe so. I believe it was for Dragon Ball Super, and to kind of like to think about that i'm just like huh like the preparation for that i mean i'm pretty sure toriyatara is pretty much just like oh my god i'm still so happy that i get to work on this let me do every throwback i possibly can which sure it can get old fairly quickly but 
Hmm. When you have to release the new Moro 73, he gets to do magic and kick your ass all at once. It's it's like <laughs> it's like, bro, like you you're really just going on, hey, which which uh which enemy did you like the most? Did you like Frieza? Did you like Cell? Did you like Hit? Um did did you want all of them together? Like it, it to me it's it's at that point where they just like you said they completely ran out of ideas it was just like let's do another callback and the callback just didn't make sense so i feel like maybe you hit on something a little bit there or at least you said something that got my brain rolling down the other way i'm i'm not really sure but toyotaro and again we covered this in depth about a three, four weeks ago now with Aunt Grimulia about the Dragon Ball AF explanation, like how that started. Toyotaro was the guy who was like, picked it up and made it into like a regular fan manga, you know, regular recurring series. Um, you think about why he would do a project like that. It's because he's a fan. Like that's always been my thing about Toyotaro. I'm a fan of Toyotaro because I think it's fucking awesome to know that one of us, like a fan who grew up with the content like you and I did, one of us is in the, you know, as close to the driver's seat as he can be right now. Right. Uh, with Akira Toriyama still, you know, alive and in and, and the picture and very much uh, in play in a lot of ways. Um, you said Toriyama, for Super at least, the anime, and this is how it was with GT as well. He... He did some character designs. He did some art designs, um, some loose ideas, and that was about the extent of it. When Super restarted, it started in the form of two movies. Obviously, he had scripted and wrote both of those, and that spans for about the first 35 episodes of Super. So by the time those two pre-existing stories are up in the anime... At that point, I imagine Toei was the people to say, hey, we're going to do a Future Trunks arc. You know, that's one of the best, you know, calling about, uh, talking about callbacks and, and fan service stuff. Um, Toei would probably be the first in line to want to bring back Future Trunks. Now that Toriyama is sort of back to the status quo, and by status quo, I mean the comic books are coming before the anime. So the creative ideas and storyline and the narrative, they're coming from the comic books instead of the, the cartoon for the first time since Super came back in 2015. And I wonder if now that he's... And again, it's, it's a different format than it was when it was Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z. Uh, comic books, you know, that was a weekly Shonen Jump. This is now a monthly chapter. It's a different format. I, I just... I wonder how engaged Homeboy is in trying to make these stories work or trying to get new ideas into the story. Not that he's ever been, maybe this is a dumb question, because he's never really been super original. Like He's always been somebody to quickly recycle his own material. But I, I just wonder, like, at what point does he kind of say, all right, Toyotaro, you take over and do your thing now for the comic book. And how much does Toyotaro say, well, I know that I liked this thing when I was reading this part of the Boo saga or this part of the Cell saga. 
I know I like that thing. I'm going to borrow from that scene or that idea. From an artistic perspective, it's like well-documented that Toriyotaro does a lot of referencing to uh, past Dragon Ball, you know, iconic Dragon Ball panels and cells or whatever. And that kind of ties into the fan service aspect that we've just, that's like the greater theme of this episode, I guess, today is fan service. But um, he's also been accused of tracing poses straight out of Marvel comic books, uh, that Captain America shit that happened a couple years ago. I just wonder, like, is Toriyotaro the right fucking guy? I don't know. Right. I mean, I I guess, I mean, to really think about it, because even what you said, it's like, this is a fan that's in the closest, like, part we could ever, ever, ever hope to imagine to, like, being, like, part of the Dragon Ball, like, production team itself. He's second in command, and, man. Not yeah, that like, we, like the, I mean, as second in command as you can be, you know, in regards to, like, yeah. editors or whatever kind of hierarchy there is there, but, like, yo, you're number two to Akira Toriyama. That's what most kids dream about. Exactly. And I think for him, I think the, the biggest thing is just, like, it's it's probably the pressure and timing, I would like to say, but then it's also the pressure of, well, what's something that sounds super Dragon Ball-like? I mean, that's how he, the dude came up anyway. Like, that's literally how this guy cut his teeth in Dragon Ball was by ripping off Dragon Ball. So much to yeah. the point that he didn't have his own original ideas, he just repurposed Dragon Ball characters and ideas into his own fan manga. Which, you know, on paper, that prime time, like, that makes him a prime time candidate to take it over. But it does, it, does it make him a prime time? It, it makes him a prime time candidate to take it over if the intention is to keep the status quo. Right. Does that make him the prime time candidate if he. Is he going to be able to grow the series at all? Is he going to be able to help us expand this at all? Because I, I just. I, 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 I love Vegeta. So much like, but even me seeing this whole, like I'm atoning for my sins thing and a third time in pretty quick succession. When you consider how the arcs line up, like trunks was seven last year. Trunks is nine last year or trunks was eight last year. Trunks is 10. This is terrible math that I'm trying to do. My point is not being able to have Vegeta like have that moment with some finality every time he does it it just completely negates the the impact from prior moments like when i go back and watch a majin majin vegeta moment now i'm just like yeah i remember when this hit me 10 years ago now they redid it in the tournament of power and now they kind of don't like a soft version of it in this moral thing and now this doesn't mean as much to me yeah um i think so that I, I basically I didn't plan on talking about any of what we just talked about. A lot of this conversation has just kind of evolved organically because the callbacks in this series are at times awesome and at times a major detriment. And this chapter does a good job of of doing callbacks that suck ass or doing callbacks that kick ass, but also kind of make me frustrated and, and wonder like. Why do I even still fucking care about Dragon Ball? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's what, I think honestly, that's what most uh, viewers or, or people who are even reading feel the same way. Cause it's just like, 
oh, it feels like it's just the same thing over again. And for that, um, I, I just say this. For me, like, to think about how, if I was in Toyotaro's, like, position itself, man, I'd be, I'd be, first thing I'd do is shit my, my pants because I'm like, <laughs> bro, I'm working with Akira Toriyama. Right. Um, but the second thing is just, like, to think about a good story arc, like, even for itself, like, from where it is, from where it started to where it is right now, like, it's still really good, in my opinion. In fact, I would even go as far to say, because my favorite arc was uh, Goku Black, but my my favorite arc right now is this. This is top number one, because, like, wow, it, it, it brought back some of the lore, and that's what I loved about it, because it's just like, Dude, Toyotaro literally said, hey, remember how Majin Buu sucked this one guy? Pause. And, um, <laughs> and like, literally everyone forgot about it. Yeah, we're bringing that back. And I love that. If you keep doing now, if you kept doing that, like, little things like that, probably Toyotaro would probably, I mean, people would probably get tired of it. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, because I feel like I'm, Totally went off, but <laughs> no, no, no. You you just brought up a great point, and I think I I talked about it a little bit on on the shows. One of the two pods we did last week, like that's one of the more interesting callbacks to a piece of Dragon Ball lore, where we got a small piece of it, you know, at the beginning of the Majin Buu arc, and you don't really get any kind of follow up or explanation on it ever again. So for him to call that out and bring that up and have that be part of this uh, arc in general was was super interesting because we haven't seen it since then. And it was something right. back then that we didn't get like so much of, like we didn't see the entire thing play out, but a little bit of a piece of it. And he built off of it and expanded it. And that's what made that interesting. Seeing Vegeta atone quote unquote, without the fucking explosions this time, granted uh, <laughs> seeing him atone for a third time or whatever, by trying to save the world from the villain I love Vegeta more than probably anybody, but the third time around, it's just it's it's less impactful, you know. Yeah. It, so there there are good callbacks, there are bad callbacks. Yeah. It's it's the one where it's like, it's like when you try the food and it's like the first time is good, it's really good. Second time you're like meh. Third time you're just like, did I really like this? Yeah. You just kind of grow like a. It's like oversaturation, you know. You, you yeah. just you get a little bit too used to it. You grow to appreciate it less and less the more and more you have it. That's right. what makes something like the Grand Kaio coming back and being a part of the story a really cool callback to old Dragon Ball stuff. And Vegeta atoning for like the fifteenth fucking time, not as cool. So, right. cool side tangent. Didn't plan on that one. Wasn't in the notes. There are notes. <laughs> Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, so we talked a little bit about the, like the appearance of the fusion for Moro and seven, three, right? What I didn't like about it was, uh, I mean, it, it looks cool. The design is cool, but, um, how they describe it. So Vegeta does the four spirit fission. He reverts back to old Moro. He's weaker, still has his magic or whatever, but like can't physically fight Vegeta uses his magic to get to 7-3 quickly, absorbs him. And, like, the reasoning or, like, the explanation was 7-3 basically held a copy of Moro's power uh, that has since been, you know, uh, 
forced spirit fissioned whatever the fuck out of him by Vegeta. He held a copy of that power and is essentially a backup of all of Moro's combat abilities. So I don't like that explanation uh, because it's I feel like it's it's either one or the other. I don't know if it's both. Then they say, you know, he's also given the edge of, you know, just how powerful 7-3 is in general. So is he a battery in terms of the power or is he a battery in terms of your combat moves and abilities? Like, can it be both? If it is both, why didn't you just say that? Like, the way they tried to kind of explain it with, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say legalese because it's obviously not any kind of legal terms, but backup of combat ability? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> So he's basically an SD card for a Samsung. <laughs> that's, explain. That's, explain. That's basically the only way to describe him. He's literally an SD card that you put in your Samsung. It's like, oh, hey, where's all my other data? Oh, hey, I found it in my old S3 that tends to short out every once in a while. Let me put it back in here. Oh, great. Now I have all the pictures. Now I have every move, every combat skill everything even the little magic that i sprinkle like it's it's like dude like i didn't know that i, I mean i know seven three has a special power but is he a robot as well now like is, is he like a robotic life form is he yeah i don't know i don't think he's a robot i do kind of get he, he's not an android because that was like the yeah. thing when the android showed up was that the artificial human power, like their unlimited power, was a good thing to be able to combat them in Moro. So he's not quite Android level. I, I, I think he's an organic. Be I'm not. I'm not sure, dude. I don't know. You should it's, go. It's definitely a weird concept because I mean, I think it's interesting. I like where Tori Toyotora's going with this because it's like, okay, this doesn't sound Dragon Ball, but this is definitely different. Um, now is it like the one where you say, "Oh, write that down, Johnny. This is a great idea." Maybe not, because especially for Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball fans will be fickle. They know what they want, but at the same time, they know what they don't want. They will simply say, "Hey, you remember that part? Yeah, let's not do that." Hey, remember that part? I loved that. Hey, remember that part? Do something different. I don't know what, but do something different about it. But that's the thing about Dragon Ball or about this arc in general. It's different but similar and it gives you that weird feeling where it's like it gives you familiarity. Wow, I can't even speak. Familiarity. <laughs> but at the same time, it gives you something where it's like you have to think about it. But that's why I think this arc is or this chapter is good because... Now you're just confused. You don't know what the hell is going on. It's like you literally woke up and the whole house is on fire. You're like, okay, well, how did, like, we know how we got here because we walked in and everyone was partying, but what? <laughs> like, how, what? How, did, how did we get here? Like, I guess the moral of the story here is, uh, God damn it. <laughs> just, uh, Moro 73, the new future model car. Uh, buy yours today for about fifteen hundred yen. Well, wow, that's a very, very cheap car. Um, he is a male alien android with an appearance very similar to Hit. Uh, seven yeah. three has two bumps similar to horns on his head, eyes with black sclera, white 
pupils and no iris. Uh, so I read all of that to get to biography. 7-3 was created on a planet with advanced science and technology. Somehow, Sagambo, which I'm assuming is that dude who got murked by Moro just before the fusion happened, somehow Sagambo encountered him and added him to his group. 7-3 then rampaged throughout the universe with them until they were caught by the Galactic Patrol and imprisoned in the Galactic Jail. It's actually called a prison. I think it's space jail. Yeah, I think prison space Australia. What's the difference, man? Prisons are federally funded. I think is the difference. So space prison. Does the galaxy fund it? Galactic prison. I think it's prison. Yeah, I think it's federally funded galactically. How do you galactically funded? Um, I guess all the all the it's like the you know the spirit bomb technique instead of like just sending out your spirit energy, you send your money throughout that way. Does <laughs> so like ever like someone's like, oh Johnny, you forgot to pay the bill, and he just writes a check and then just throws it up in the air. I don't know. This entire exchange has definitely solidified the idea that we're not ready to be uh, in space. Um, space force is a waste. I think it's time to close down NASA. I think we need to go underwater because, uh, again, they, they're, they're proving more and more each day that there are bigger fish in the sea than we thought, and we still haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, the ocean's fucking scary, man. There's a lot of stuff down there. Um, I'll tell you what's not down there as a backup of Moro's combat abilities via the space alien Android 7-3. But, that is true. But we do have it coming up in chapter 62. So they they have the fusion. I guess, like, I I said it earlier. I feel like they went out of their way today, thankfully. Thankfully. Because I, I, it's sort of a given to me now. Um, I have a little fly flying around here. Um, I feel like it's sort of a given now that Goku's going to be the guy. Because uh, he's told you right out of the gate. I didn't perfect Ultra Instinct. I only got down the omen or sign, depending on the um, translation that you're reading. Um, They may as well have, like, put a a billboard up that said Vegeta's not going to win at that point, to me. But to have Vegeta come in there today and play an important part in dissipating Moro's energy how he did but more specifically the explanation behind how that worked and how it is the basically the antithesis of energy that is compiled through a fusion or an absorption and at the end of the chapter what the fuck happens a fusion i feel like even though the forced the i feel like even though the forced spirit fusion was the highlight of the beginning of the chapter people will be quick to forget and when the fight between this new fused version of him and Vegeta or Goku happens, they might not be considering that this technique might also be effective against this uh, this new fusion. So don't count them out yet is my point. Leonard, how do you feel about the end of this chapter? Uh, I thought it was good. Um, I kind of agree with what you're saying uh, with Vegeta being able to, you know, uh, come back and be like, okay, fusion time, or try to do a technique that would stop the fusion. Um, but I think it's going to go a little bit differently. Uh, the, the grand finale of my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> um, my prediction is a very weird one. 
So I feel that Majin Buu is going to snap back and uh, the the East Grand Kai Grand, Prime yeah, Minister. Grand Supreme Kai, I think. Grand Supreme Ta- Kai of time. I, 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 I could be fucking that up, too. I think it's Grand Supreme Kai, but I could be fucking that up. Yeah, um, but I feel like what's going to happen is he's going to come back. He's going to have some, he's going to like figure out what's going on and have no idea what to do, but try to stop him. And then I feel that he's going to save something. Piccolo's going to recognize something and then tell Vegeta to split him and Kami and Nail apart. And I feel like, I feel like Kami, because again, we don't know necessarily how old Kami is from what I can recollect, but Kami may possibly knows about the Kais. So maybe he may know this Supreme East, West, North, South, whatever Kai and possibly work something out. If not, my other prediction, Vegeta's going to get beat the shit out of him to the point where he's dead and Goku's going to go mad into Super Saiyan, get hit, then try to perfect Ultra Instinct, but in the process, die. And then what? I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> Jesus, dude, I'm glad you're not fucking writing Dragon Ball. <laughs> oh, if I did, trust me, I'd make it more like, oh, man. I'd make it so intricate that people are going to be like, oh, he, he was talking about when this happened, that this and this and this and this. Like, <laughs> people are going to think I'm freaking Sherlock Holmes with this. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. There was a few things in there that I think are uh, maybe good guesses. I, I kind of do... I don't really remember what the heck happened with the Grand Supreme Kai. Like they have the big fight, three-way fight on Namek, and then what the heck happened to him? He he just went back into Majin Buu. Majin Buu's like, okay. And then Majin Buu went back to sleep. Yeah, he's just like, okay, sleep time. (laughs) Yeah, that was fucking strange. Um, Maybe it would be cool if they brought him out to... uh, I'll tell you what, though. You start Before we wrap the episode here, um, you started down the road of... Vegeta using the fusion, uh, disip- the the forced spirit fission on Piccolo, and that on paper sounds so cool, and has a lot of potential. Imagine if Kami had to come, like, cause fuck Nail, who cares? Like Nail is just like Guru's, you know, top bodyguard at the end of the day. Strong Namekian, nobody important in the terms of the ranks of Namekian right. outside of his association with Guru, but Kami. That's a motherfucker who could have some merit coming back into play. Who knows? Uh, especially when you're talking in like this godly, magical realm of, of Dragon Ball. Um, however, I don't think that'll happen. Um, I <laughs> Only because I feel like that's something that you and I would think of if we had the reins to the story, you know? But right. I, I think back to um, the Tournament of Power. Like we had just started super dope. We were like maybe, you know, four or five months in and it was the Kefla and Cauliflower, uh, excuse Kale and Cauliflower fusion into Kefla. And I had this whole thing in my brain. I was like, they're gonna universe 11's, um, was it universe 11? No, universe six, universe six's Saiyans and their Patara fusion. It's going to be permanent. Just like Vegito was supposed to be the perfect solve on how annoying both of these characters are 
We finally have one super strong female Saiyan on par with Goku and Vegeta immediately injected into the cast. Like, I had this whole, made a whole podcast about it, dude. I, like, was up on fucking Mount Conspiracy Theory about Kale, Kefla, Caulifla, and, like, undoing the retcon of the Patara infusion. Of the Patara fusion. Um, you talking about that piccolo thing just reminded me of that and while i think that it would be so cool i just i'm sorry buddy i'm sorry (laughs) i hate to be the one to tell you i i i figure it probably won't but you know a boy can dream and uh i guess uh we'll hear more of it god fucking damn it leonard all right (laughs) All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for Super Dope this week. Uh, I want to say thank you for Leonard for being my buddy and helping me get through these manga chapters uh, the last couple of months, um, even though it's just been the last couple of weeks. But we've we've now done 59, 60, and 61 together. Um, so I guess that means you're, you're probably on tap for 62, buddy. I just want to let you know now. Oh, I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm going to bring more, uh, more m- Moro jokes. Uh... I'm gonna bring more uh probably probably some more stupid jokes as well. Uh I I don't know. Dragon Ball Super Dope, it's super dope, and I'm glad to be part of the super dope team. <laughs> that Leonard. can read. Yeah, thank God. Leonard's on fucking <laughs> uh, the super dope team that can read. Like I, I need more of those. Um so thank you so much for Leonard. I appreciate your time today, brother. I will talk with you soon. Uh sixty two is on the twentieth, so we're sitting here today on the 30th so maybe like two three four weeks somewhere in there we can get back together and do this again um if you made it to the end of this podcast or this youtube stream or whatever if you are listening to the podcast though um there's a video for this and i just uh talked with leonard for the last hour or whatever the heck it was um i'm bald now i look like lex luthor a little bit it's kind of a weird new adjustment i don't know how i feel but if you want to see how shiny my head could be under my light in my bedroom, it's uh, it's there. I see it. It's right, right there. So um, go check it out. YouTube. Yeah, just look up Dragon Ball Super Dope. I'm pretty sure it'll pop up. If it doesn't, you're probably spelling it wrong. Make sure you rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Titcher, Spotify, all the places where the podcasts live. Leonard, thank you so much again. Um, MPC Pod, you guys back to recording yet or what? Yes, we actually just had an episode that is coming out soon. We're back on a regular schedule, and this time we talk about gaming charities. Uh, so definitely, please, we suggest you give it a listen. And uh, if you haven't already, give us a listen. Download all the podcasts, and also download all Dragon Ball Super Dopes because... Obviously, they are super dope. That's a that's a very questionable statement. Um, at best, <laughs> we, uh, you guys are cool, but I'm uh, I don't know, man. I'm kind of hit or miss. But uh, thanks. Hey, man. you you're the cooler version of Frieza. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but yeah, I'm gonna stop the recording here. If you check this out on YouTube, thank you for watching with us tonight. If you were in a, a live chat. And, and left us comments. I don't know if anyone did that. I just assume maybe one person did. If you're that one person, sorry, I didn't see that. But uh, I'm sure it was a good comment. So keep commenting. Also, 
I love you. And good night. Gonna click stop streaming on the thing.